We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect, there are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, America, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Yeah, I just went out there and did what Swaggy P do. <laughs> Teammates played great, and we um, came out with the victory, you know? I'm just trying to really get my, my NBA 2K rating up. You know, it's 12.02 right now. If they want to fire me at 12.05, I'll go home and find something to do. I'll have a good day. Welcome to the Rotowire NBA podcast. It is Thursday, October 17th. Nick Whalen here with Alex Barutha. Alex, we are kind of on a full-time podcast schedule now. Yeah. We have sponsorship obligations. Um, if, if we miss an episode... We're both fired, um, so I'll be I'll be hosting with James as I did yesterday, uh, once a week going forward. I'll be with you, um, hopefully every Thursday. Might rotate based on what we have going on, but at least once a week we'll get together, and then you'll of course be with Shannon and Ken each Friday. Um, we can start with NFBKC. You and I were both in uh, the same draft actually mm-hmm. last night. Uh, you were supposed to be in a different one, I think, initially that, that ended up getting canceled. Um, you finagled your way into this one specifically so you could wait all the way until round seven to take Jeff Teague from me Yes, with the 80th pick, uh, three picks before my selection at 83. Uh, but we'll, we'll review this uh, real quickly before we get into some Brad Beal talk, some preseason talk, um, talk a little bit about the NBA GM survey that came out today. Um, but we have an article up on the site, just went up before we started recording here. That includes a full breakdown of the entire draft, pick by pick, uh, the full team rosters, and then a, a brief little Q&A just between you and I about how things went. So what were your thoughts? Uh, you were picking fifth, I fifth. believe, in round one. I had the second pick. I went with Giannis. You went with Anthony Davis. Um, you tweeted your team out, and it drew generally favorable reviews. I uh, I would give myself like a B. I would give you like at least an A- minus at the Thank at you. the minimum. I think your team looks really, really good. Um, was second your like priority number? Cause you got to select, no, didn't do that. Didn't do that at all. Nope, didn't, okay. Did not do that. I don't, I really honestly don't care too much about where I picked, but maybe I was I, glad to get the second pick. Maybe I got fifth because of general apathy by everyone else. Cause fifth was my number one pick. I figured, um, you know, if I, if I draft fifth, I get the final elite player left and then also get the soonest right pick after that. 
Um, but yeah, I felt pretty good about it. I was just trying not to reach for anybody. Um, was looking at like the, um, I was looking at the NFBKC ADPs and like, sorted them by like maximum, mm-hmm. like as far as like when was the last pick this player was taken, and was kind of drafting based off of that, seeing who I could wait on stuff like that. So um, that was how I did it until we got to our benches, and then at that point it just becomes yeah. a free for all. Yeah, I said to you last night. I thought there were very few picks that. You know, usually in most drafts that we do, whether it's a mock or a real draft, you know, at some point someone takes someone and, you know, we'll shoot each other a message and be like, what are they doing? There was maybe maybe one or two of those picks throughout the entire draft and really nothing that I felt was overly egregious. And then I think some of the picks that you would say were maybe a little early are guys that we're both high on, like Bam Adebayo uh, went in the top 35. I think he was 33rd yep. overall in this draft. Um, Thomas Bryant, you know, his stock continues to rise. I mean, he's a guy we were able to get in like the 60s or 70s you know a few weeks ago and i think he came off the board at 43 in this draft so a lot of the guys who like i said might be surprising picks were were guys that you could at least justify with the upside right um was there anyone that you thought was taken way too high uh i think i think morant at uh 53 is just a little too steep for me i think you can maybe justify it if you have like zero assists up to that point and are just hoping he can average eight or nine assists a game. Mm-hmm. But I just think the potential for him to be an inefficient shooter, basically a zero on defense, um, stuff like that. I think there's too much potential. I think you can, I, even if you are high on Morant, I think you could actually wait around and probably get him in round six in most cases. Um, and yeah that it's just a little steep for me I, i'm worried that the trey young luka Doncic, like deandre ayton like how good last year's rookie class was compared to their yep. just in general but also compared to their adps is also inflating guys like morant yeah i mean this league doesn't count turnovers and i think that was one of my key concerns with him is sure. he, has, he certainly has potential to be a high turnover guy so i don't think it was you know a crazy pick at 53 and like you said you know if you need the assists um there, there's an argument that that he's worth it there uh, I thought Gilgis Alexander, who went 42 overall, was a little bit high for me. Um, I mean, I, I love him as a player, but to me, I I guess I've always valued him more as a, a real life player. You know, somebody I would want as a, as a young guy to develop, but not. I mean, his numbers were not that great last year. He was he was efficient for a rookie. You know, he's he's fun to watch. You know, he's he's somebody that very clearly reads the game well, but. I just I don't know what the ultimate upside is um, until Chris Paul gets traded, and I'm assuming this pick was made based on that assumption. But I don't. I mean, it, it's not like if Chris Paul leaves town, all of a sudden Gilgis Alexander is a, a 20 and 10 guy, right? I think. I mean, based on how well he played in the playoffs, I think that I think that gives a lot of people confidence to draft him this high, and I think that's justified at least. Like you can, mm-hmm. it, you can. It's very easy to point to like Jake Gilgis Alexander and be like, well, he's so great on defense, and he played well in the playoffs against the Warriors and stuff like that. I, I had this. I asked this question to Shannon. Would you? And you actually drafted Eric Bledsoe. Would you draft Eric Bledsoe over Shea Gal- Gilgis Alexander if they were like if you had to choose between the two, or do you feel like that's virtually a toss up? It's a toss up, but I would personally take Bledsoe just because I, I tend to be more risk averse. Right. Um, you know, I I took I ended up taking Porzingis in this draft, which you know, I, as I wrote uh, in our in our write up on the site that. That's typically the type of player I would shy away from. Somebody right. coming off of in, an injury, um, somebody who's, you know, proven to be a borderline elite player, but really has not had a, a prolonged stretch of elite elite play to this yeah. point in their career. Somebody who might be rested, um, but I was able to get him at 38, and I felt like at that point I kind of had to pull the trigger. And, and the way this one worked, um, you know, it was third round reversal, so there was a long gap between my second and third picks, and then having the second overall pick, obviously a long gap um, between the almost consecutive picks of my next one. So I basically knew he wouldn't be there. And by the time my next pick rolled around, there was not going to be anyone with that kind of upside left on the board. Um, and Gilgis Alexander, of course, doesn't have the the injury concerns that Porzingis does. But Bledsoe's a proven commodity. You know, I, I think people right. in general are maybe down on Bledsoe um, based the on the, like the last time reason, we saw yeah. him, he was right. He was <laughs> terrible in the playoffs, but that doesn't matter for fantasy. Like he was great during the regular season. That's all that I really care about. Um, but that, that's an interesting question. I mean, I, I think clearly people are higher on Gilgis Alexander even now than they were three or four weeks ago. Yeah, I think you were I think you were right on the Przingis pick because after that was Markinen, Jaron Jackson, Lowry, Shea, Thomas Bryant. And like you're you're getting into that territory where it's like I, I don't think I would I don't think I would bank on Markinen or Jaron Jackson having a better year than Porzingis. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, unless you think you know, Zach Levine's gonna be a top twenty five player guaranteed. 
um, you know, reaching that far, I necessarily won't. And so I think you did get Przingis at like the best value you could have. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it was, I think if I didn't take him there, he was going to go in the next four or five picks. I mean, yeah. I, I considered marketing I considered Jaron Jackson, um, considered Thomas Bryant, but I, I 38 was just a little too high. <laughs> and I, high, and yeah. again, I wrote on the site, you know, I really wanted Bam Adebayo who I've claimed as my guy and like yet never seemed to actually land in any of these leagues. Um, I would have taken him at 38, but I would have felt like I was taking him a little high. And then to see him go five picks before that was, was really surprising. He was the guy I kind of had in mind at 59, which clearly proved to be way too <laughs> late. Like not like just kind of a laughable thought in retrospect. Um, but overall, I think things went well. I know you feel good about your team. Right. Um, I mean, anybody that went like after pick a hundred or pick, you know, round eight or later that, that you felt was a great value either for you or someone else. I really liked getting Patrick Beverly at 128. Um, he could be like a top 80 player. That would not shock me at all. He could play 30 minutes. Like just his his potential on any given night to get like five steals or like 10 rebounds. He's just like a wild card for mm-hmm. like the bot. He's like complete box score wild card. Um, and then I also liked getting Rui Hachimura at pick 152, which I was really surprised he fell that far. Like he went below tyus jones for example like yeah. someone i i would not draft tyus jones over rui hachimura Jarrett culver also went higher than that so i just think i mean he's looked pretty good in the preseason he's i'm pretty convinced he's gonna play 30 to 35 minutes a game um so i was happy to get those guys um yeah i mean i my first pick outside of the top 100 was brandon ingram there's probably gonna get some mixed reviews but 104 is i'm, I'm pretty fine about that how about you I mean, I, I was okay with getting Bogdanovich, Bogdan Bogdanovich at, at 107. I have some concerns about how that rotation is going to work out. I, I talked with James on the pod yesterday about the Kings, and like we both agreed that they would maybe be that eight seed type of team this year, but they just had a typical Kings offseason and brought in like unneeded depth at all the wrong positions. Right. You know, bringing in Corey Joseph on, on the contract that they have him on, he's not just going to sit the bench. He probably cuts into Bogdanovich's time a little bit. Um, but then, you know, like an hour after the draft was completed, all the Buddy Heald stuff comes out and like suddenly if he were to get (laughs) traded now, that would be great for, for Bogdanovich. So I feel a little bit better uh, about that pick right now, but you know, I, I'm not convinced that Sacramento is exactly looking to move Buddy Heald immediately. Um, but no, it was, I, like I said, things went as expected through the first six or seven rounds. I think like there, I, I, there wasn't somebody that I felt great about getting, you know, I, I felt fine with my picks after 100, especially, but there wasn't anyone other than the guys you named who I felt fell way too far. Um, just inside the top 100 though, Gordon Hayward at 95. Yeah. Was, I was definitely going to grab him. Um, if he made it all the way to 107, which, you know, would have been extremely generous, but I mean, he's a guy we've seen go in the seventies in probably even higher and in a lot of other drafts. I considered taking him in both the seventh and eighth round, um, as an eighth round, especially was basically like, so you, I, you went with Zach Collins at 89 that round. Yeah. I went with Zach Collins. Um, I was basically deciding between Zach Collins, Derek favors, miles bridges and Gorgon Hayward. And I just, I, I felt like Zach Collins weirdly was the safest one there um at least one with like mm-hmm. like his his minutes will be safe the hassan Whiteside situation is pretty sketchy yep. um i know he's gonna get threes and blocks um but i think all those picks are fine and yeah i mean hayward slipping that far is something that i i like both of us said if he was there in round nine or mm-hmm. ten like we were just going to take him like the upside's too high at that point Fantasy basketball fans, the NBA regular season has almost arrived. FanDuel is offering the most exciting ways to play fantasy basketball no matter what you're looking for. FanDuel has something for everyone. Tons of different contests each night, tons of formats to choose from, and each contest starts at just 25 cents. All you have to do is pick a contest, choose your team, and enjoy watching your results in real time. You can play against your friends for bragging rights or you can play against the public for millions of dollars in cash prizes. To take advantage of our special offer for new FanDuel users, sign up today at FanDuel.com slash RW. That's FanDuel.com slash RW. You'll get a free six-month Rotowire subscription with your first deposit on FanDuel. DFS lineup optimizers, premium articles, draft software, everything that we offer for NBA Fantasy on rotowire.com. You will get that with that first deposit on FanDuel. Again, all you have to do is just visit fanduel.com slash RW, fanduel.com slash RW, void where prohibited. Let's uh, let's talk about Brad Beal real quickly. So he signed an extension this morning, two years, 72 million, which includes a player option. 
He is, of course, still under contract through the end of next season on his current deal. So this extension is really a one plus one. It starts in 21-22 with a player option then for 22-23. So, I mean, in some ways, this, this buys the Wizards a little bit more time to rebuild. They've apparently sold Brad Beal as kind of being the center of said rebuild. Uh, and it's also, you know, kind of a quick money grab for, for Brad Beal, you know, to make right. a ton of money, $36 million essentially, over the course of one season and then still have the ability uh, in the summer of 2022 to to be a free agent. But I think the bigger ramifications are not even for the Wizards. I think it's for the rest of the league. You know, teams like Denver, Milwaukee, um, who else comes to mind for, you know, a, a team that would look to add a Brad Beal to its core right. uh, at some point it could still happen i mean it would after signing this extension you would think this would kind of pull him off but we've seen stranger things happen you know it, it wouldn't rule it out but it seems at least for now that he's you know the number one by far uh trade asset that that's kind of been on the table since really the end of last season or midway through last season is now off the table uh so my question to you is who becomes that number one target uh i think you still got to look at chris paul uh, if you're a team that's contending, uh, I mean, also Danilo Gallinari. I mean, if we're just talking like pairs, you can look at those guys or you could look at like Lowry and Gasol. Um, you know, I think those four guys should be relatively easy to poach contract wise for Paul. Obviously, that's still an issue. He didn't just get suddenly like more easy to trade. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I mean, Buddy Heald is a, a legit yep. ad if he ends up demanding a trade or the the Kings start to shop him because right now he's on a rookie deal yep. which would be really easy to move and he is top five three-point shooter in the nba i mean he's yeah i mean i i think he's particularly interesting because you could have you know two scenarios like some teams would view him as a rental uh some teams would view him as somebody they want to trade for and then resign right. i you know I, I think if you're sacramento my guess is right now they'll just play this out and you know after I mean, we, there are very few players have come out and been as blunt about wanting to be traded or at least wanting a new contract um as buddy healed was last night but it, it doesn't sound like it'll necessarily be something that you know distracts him like i would still i would still right. expect him to play well and play hard and all that as long as he's in sacramento but if and when the kings you know eventually start to look like they're the ninth or tenth best team in the western conference and you know it's you're still kind of trending toward them not paying him uh which i, I think you know they would have done that already and the deadline right. is approaching you know if, if we get to january february and he's still on the roster and they're not you know they're looking like a fringe playoff team at best i think you almost have to trade him right if, if the uh, the alternative is just letting him walk i think so i mean this is a really bad like this has some really bad like pr potential with it because the kings like we mentioned before made a bunch of off offseason signings that suggest Hey, we're ready to be a playoff team. Mm-hmm. We can maybe win a first round series if things break right. And then you get this issue where it's like, but all of a sudden you're not ready to sign Buddy Heald, who is yeah. can average 20 points a game and is one of the best three point shooters in the league. Um, you know, and I just, I'm sure they could get a lot for him, but he would be like a really hard pivot off of this playoff potential into a rebuild again. And like that doesn't make that's not a bad idea because then you would have Fox and mm. Bagley and theoretically another young guy, uh, but it's a weird that it's a weird pivot for a team to make like yeah. uh, seemingly just all of a sudden. I mean, we should clarify: Buddy Heald is not Paul George; he's not Brad Beal. So I, I wouldn't say you know you're you're not necessarily throwing yourself into a full rebuild if you trade him. Um, but you look at the salary. I mean, I, I, I mentioned they made some bizarre acquisitions. You know, like you presumably are telling buddy healed we don't want to pay you what you're asking and right. if that's the case that's understandable we've seen other guys other teams you know play hardball before but Brogdon. you're paying right exactly i mean you're paying trevor ariza 25 million dollars over the next two years you're paying Corey joseph an average of over 12 million over the next three years you're paying harrison barnes 24 million dollars this year Dwayne dedman 13 you know 13.3 million dollars like that money was there and you went and spent it on a bunch of mid-level guys so it, i mean i guess maybe they foreshadowed this with those signings and i'm i'm, I'm sure buddy Heald was aware of that you know in, in early july when this was all going down but uh i think with beal off the market I, I, that you know whatever teams were in on on bradley beal are probably going to be just as in on on buddy Heald. and you know maybe he's 75 percent of the player that uh brad beal is but that means maybe you're only paying 75 percent of the price that you would have had to pay for a guy in Beal who's not only a better player but also under contract through next season whereas 
you know, you said the Kings will, will get a, a decent return for Heald, and I think that's true. But if it's a team that only views him as a rental, like how much are you really, really willing to give up? Right. I um, I mean, he's a, I mean, he's he's potentially a swing piece. Like oh, big for time. these, I mean, he I think Heald could be the fourth best player on a title team. Maybe I third. Think he could be as high as third, depending yeah. on who your top two are. Yeah, I, I mean, if, if your top two are Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, I think he could be three. Sure. If you threw him on like. I mean, Houston might be a rough example, but like, I mean, you know, if you had if if you had that team mm-hmm. together, if you basically you replaced Eric Gordon uh, with oh, with Buddy Heald, he would be the perfect rocket. I know, right? Um, otherwise, yeah, a team like Boston. If Boston was able to get Buddy Heald for like Jalen Brown, um, that yeah, kind of a situation. Kind of a, my my contract problem for your contract problem, right? Um, Brooklyn, I like that one. If you had yeah. like Kyrie, Buddy Heald, and Durant when he's back, like. I mean, this is you know. I think the I think the Kings, for being for being in such a bad spot, they have a pretty good opportunity to like the, because the amount of teams that would want Buddy Heald is right. so high. The amount yeah. of trade offers that you are going to get and that you can pit against each other are so yep. high that even if this ends up being quote unquote a worst case scenario where he demands a trade, I yep. think they're still going to end up being fine. I think Miami's an interesting fit, a team that's sure. going to need shooting. Uh, the thing is, though, if you're Sacramento, you presumably want a young player on a controllable contract and picks, right? And Miami doesn't necessarily have that to offer. I mean, you you can you can throw Justice Winslow out there, um, but I mean, they I don't think they can really touch any of their picks until like the mid 2020s, right? And I don't yeah, I don't think the that's picks are not good. It's tough to say what Sacramento wants because you, you you would think they don't want to take on a lot of salary based on the fact that they're not just paying, but he healed themselves. He's what 26. I mean, it's not like he's 31. Um, you know, and Denver you, I think will be in the mix uh I, I, portland it would be an interesting fit but i don't think they have much to offer the spurs could build a, a Derek white type of package right something like that um this is definitely a good trade machine guy um oh, yeah. and yeah i uh it, it's weird too because if they trade him and they get they go into a more of a rebuild then with all the they would conceivably be trying to trade all these veterans that they just signed too mm-hmm. um so i think I don't know. I I think whatever happens here with with Heald um, is going to end up. You can probably spin it positively, no matter mm-hmm. what happens here, which is a weird situation to be in. Um, but it just could go against what their offseason plans were so strongly that it's just at first glance, it's it's shocking. Yeah, I mean, it was it was shocking <laughs> back then when they signed uh, Deadman and Ariza and Corey Joseph and. Uh, it remains so, but uh, what, do, what do you think about healed straight up for Kyle Kuzma? Uh, I'm not even going to consider the ramifications. <laughs> I just that just came to my mind. I don't know if it works. I don't know why either team would do it. I don't think that's enough for healed. But uh, if you're letting him walk, you're getting a guy who he seems like a king, right? Like Kyle Kuzma seems like a, a guy that like Vladi Divac would really overvalue. <laughs> right. You have to keep that in mind. Uh, this it, team is typically not acting rationally. You it would you at one point you could play all Harrison Barnes, Trevor Ariza, Marvin Bagley, Kyle Kuzma, Bielitsa, and Bielitsa. Yeah, the small forward raid That's a squad. Yeah, um, yeah. We'll see how that transpires. I, I it certainly seems as though Beal will get dealt at some point. There's not a yeah. long history of guys coming out and saying what he said, and then just everything being fine going forward. Right. Um, but if, if you're Sacramento, I think you at least have to see how this team plays early on before acting uh too drastically let's turn to the gm survey um i prefer this one to the player survey which was out a a month or so ago that one tends to be uh pretty transparent in the fact that a lot of players are not taking it seriously right but this one i think for the most part you know whether it's gms or their underlings are are the ones filling this out uh there are definitely fewer like laugh out loud answers (laughs) uh, compared to what you get in the player survey uh, so we can just kind of go through a few of these and, you know, give reactions. Maybe if we have differing picks from from the consensus and dive into that. Uh, but the first question, which team will win the 2020 NBA Finals? 46% of respondents said the LA Clippers, 36% the Milwaukee Bucks, 11% the Lakers, and others receiving votes, the Warriors and the Portland Trailblazers. So thank you, Neil O'Shea, for voting. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say. I think this is about right. I, sure, I yeah. would say 36% for Milwaukee is a little too high. And the fact that Philly is not appearing on this list is a little bit surprising. 
maybe the implication is that the bucks are just going to be really strong in the buyout market or aggressive in trading which john horse showed that he's he is fine to get aggressive uh with trading for like miritich and everything like that so um and obviously like a team like the bucks who is just going to be in the finals it's either it's either the 76ers or the bucks going to be in the finals um and then you figure at that point you know anything's possible um so yeah i was i guess I'm, i am surprised that the bucks got in over the lakers and over the 76ers because i think we've i don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast necessarily but i think the 76ers might have a better chance of making the finals than the bucks do i mean i think, I think that for sure it's yeah. a rough it's a rough matchup for the bucks i think the 76ers specifically built their team or or it seems like they specifically built their team to stop Giannis. You know, with with just the amount of bodies that they can throw at him that are his size or bigger, um, and so I think from a matchup perspective, the 76ers probably have an advantage there. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe other GMs just don't really like the way that the Lakers went about. Yeah, uh, I think that's part of it. Acquiring their talent, and they get they get kind of knocked there. Yeah, I think a lot of people probably would revel to some degree in the lakers failing as was the case last year i I don't think there were too many you know the league itself probably wants the lakers to be good for business reasons but i I don't think many rival gms were sympathizing with magic johnson and rob palinka last year and i think that's only been exacerbated based on what happened uh this offseason uh but yeah I, i think overall nothing too surprising there outside of portland uh mvp Giannis, 52 percent Curry, Davis, and Kawhi, all 10%. Nikola Jokic, 7%. Others receiving votes, James Harden, LeBron James, and Damian Lillard. Just a real slap. Did Lillard fill this out? To James Harden. Yeah, right. To to put him in the other receiving votes. Yeah. I mean, we've had this discussion at length. I, I talked about it with James yesterday as well. Um, my, my only question from this is, is, can we cross Kawhi Leonard out? from mvp consideration or is there a chance that he i think most people are just assuming he's not going to play enough games is there the possibility that he ends up playing 67 or 68 games the clippers finish with 62 wins I was just and say. you know we i don't know I, I think he's just for as good as he is and for as high as everyone was on him back in june i have not heard one person make a case for him as a realistic mvp candidate i think 70 games played and 60 wins would really put him into the conversation uh but he's also in that category of well he has another star next to him right and i think when you look when you look at who the gms think are going to win mvp most of them are are, you know guys like you know Giannis does not have a second star next to him steph curry does not have a second star next to him Jokic, who's number five omari spellman (laughs) marquise chris uh (laughs) i think so I, i think that matters a lot so um yeah, I mean, Lillard is interesting as like a super dark horse because if that team, if the team's role players like completely fall apart around him, like if White Sox isn't that good, if Zach Collins isn't ready, if Bazemore is just not as good as I think he is. <laughs> if he's just Ken Bazemore. <laughs> if he's just Ken Bazemore, if Hazonia, like Lillard yeah. might have to put on like a, you know, Beal-esque usage rate to, to kind of yep. try to keep them afloat. Yeah, I mean, in a lot of years, I would... I would say Lillard is a great dark horse. I just think the field is so deep this right, year that is, he would yeah. need so much help. You know, th- like LA would have to go completely sideways. Kawhi would have to play fewer than 70 games. You know, we, we all love, like I love Harden as a, I mean, what Harden's floor, I feel like is so high, you know, like, what, course, like yeah. he might average 33 a game, which will be three less than last year. And like, that's still going to lead the league, I think by a decent margin, unless, you know, unless Steph kind of has a Harden type of season. I, I, just, I just think like Lillard's ceiling isn't quite high enough to really push him over the five or six like super superstars that are going to be in the mix no matter what for sure um let's see which other if you were starting a franchise today and you could sign any player in the nba who would it be the only three players to receive votes Giannis, anthony davis and luka Doncic. uh i i I think this is right i'm trying to think of other players off the top of my head i think like three or four years ago towns was like yeah two, i think list. not last year but the year before towns was far and away the winner and he did not even appear on any ballots this year youngest and davis makes sense because you, you just from like the size mm-hmm. perspective guys who can play two to three positions are two-way players um which is really you know potentially like the reason Doncic won't ascend to like the level of youngest or davis is just that yep. he may not be a two-way player he may not be able to physically dominate games 
Uh, and I think from the age perspective, yeah, like Giannis yeah. And, and Davis fit the bill. 86% for Giannis is a massive it is. margin. Um, I mean, last year, he, he also was the leader in this category with 30% of the vote. And the year before, Carl Towns was number one with 29%. So like, there's really never, at least over the last three or four years, never been this much of a consensus on one guy. I think, you know, Giannis probably gets a bump because of the lack of like media slash off-court like attention mm-hmm. you know like davis had this whole like trade demand thing and and other guys who might fit this bill yeah um have had that being an issue and every everything Giannis has ever done mm-hmm. or said is just indicated like he's a put you you know put his head down work hard type yeah. of guy still surprising not to see curry Kawhi. i mean even last year lebron got some votes um and those guys are all a year older Embiid was on the list last year he's not on it this year um but yeah it, i mean interesting i think that most gms appear to be taking the long-term approach you know and certainly not going to tell anyone not to start a team with Giannis or Davis but sure I think in the past there's been some just give me LeBron we'll compete right away and then it'll be worth it whereas now I think it's more of a longer term question uh let's see which player is most likely to have a breakout season the winner in this one De'Aaron Fox 19 percent Jaron Jackson and Jason Tatum 11 percent Brandon Ingram 7 percent and Jamal Murray 7 percent a ton of other players got votes um De'Aaron Fox was my pick on the pod yesterday to win most improved player. I think he kind of fits the mold of what that award has been over the last few years. You know, it's been guys like Oladipo, Jimmy Butler, CJ McCollum, Paul George, Giannis, like guys who have not, uh, the way I phrased it to James yesterday is it's not guys who have gone from role player to good player. It's guys who have been borderline all-star to like perennial all-star. Right. And I think if there's one guy who's ready to kind of make that kind of leap and, and is in the right position for it, team context-wise, it, it's probably De'Aaron Fox. I think so. I think everyone, like, in NBA circles and especially fantasy circles is, like, very aware of how good De'Aaron Fox is. I think if you talk to someone who's, like, a casual NBA fan, which I, I had this discussion. I was talking someone's, like, who's the top 10 point guards in the league? And I was like, De'Aaron Fox might be in this list. And they're like, De'Aaron Fox? And I'm like, you – I mean – you when you look at his numbers you understand like 7.3 assists and 2.8 turnovers um is something that is extremely rare like you most point guards who are second year guys are still going to have like an assist to turnover ratio of like seven to four or like something like that right um you know the main thing holding him back at this point is just probably his three-point attempts but he's he only took 12 or 13 shots a game last year if he can bump that up to like 16, yeah. I mean, he could average 20 and eight. And if you're a point guard averaging 20 points, a steal and a half, I mean, that's all. I mean, that's clearly an right. all-star. He only played 31 minutes a game last year too, which right. uh, historically speaking, I mean, I was actually looking at this yesterday, like Allen Iverson had a year in his mid twenties when he played like 43 minutes a game, sure. you know? So comparing <laughs> these guys historically doesn't always uh, work. I mean, it, it does seem like, the standard is now like you can lead the league in minutes like what was Beal at last year like 37 38 like it used so. you used to have to be in the 40s to lead the league and that's kind of gradually come down um but i think fox much like a lot of other guys going into their second third or fourth year still have a ways to go minutes wise you know i think at his peak he's probably playing 35 36 minutes a game and and then at that point you know you can kind of look at his per 36 last year 19.8 points 8.3 assists four and a half rebounds uh almost two steals a game um and he's a guy too he blocks shots as a point guard and improved his, his three-point shooting by seven percentage points from year one to year two uh, and he gets to the free throw line more um yep. his per 36 free throw line from his rookie year to his sophomore went from 3.5 to 5.9 uh he had a 35 and 15 game against the hawks last year not that that's like you know it's against the hawks so how hey. you know we <laughs> we adjust for that but still um yeah i think he's he makes sense um he fits the award like you know if we're talking most improved he fits the definition of it Mm -hmm. which you guys touched on yesterday of like these probably shouldn't be second year players on this list um guys like that um i see lebron got a vote uh which is i just unnecessary for a breakout yeah (laughs) yeah i would jamal murray read led this list which i think was a fair sure which i think was a fair uh, thing to say at the time yeah, I'll try to pull up that list. So last year it was Jamal Murray, 20%. Uh, and then it was Ingram, Tatum, Aaron Gordon, Kuzma, Kawhi, Markinen, DeJounte Murray, Ben Simmons, and then a, a ton of other guys getting votes. So, I mean, in, in a lot of ways, kind of the same list. I mean, a lot of these guys, yeah. you know, you're, you're Markinen, Tatum, Ingram were kind of in a holding pattern last year. Like none of them had bad years. Some of them were hurt. Some of them just 
you know, speaking on Tatum specifically, didn't quite take that next step forward. But at the same time, like Tatum is, you know, appearing on this list again. There's no reason, even though last year was a disappointment, like I'm not really any lower on him as an overall prospect or player than I was coming into last year. Like he, it didn't, it felt like it was more factors that were out of his control, yeah. I guess, that that led to a relatively disappointing season. He was still really good. I mean, Boston, you know, given what was what was going on with them and, you know, with that roster throughout the entire season, and all things considered, it was not a disastrous year. I mean, it ended on a, a pretty sour note with with the way that Kyrie played, I guess, in that first round series, but they were still a pretty good team despite all of it. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, go ahead. Uh, let's see. A lot of these are just really boring. Uh, who is the most underrated player acquisition? This one was led by the Jazz getting Mike Conley, 36%. Uh, the Jazz also had the number two acquisition, <laughs> Boyan Bogdanovich. Uh, then it was Malcolm Brogdon to Indiana, Jeremy Grant to Denver, and Tomas Sadoransky to Chicago. Any any arguments here? Uh, I think I think they're only underrated Conley and Bogdanovich because of the market. Yeah. Like it's weird because this says they're underrated, but like every person who like I see on television talking NBA who they're like, who's your underrated team? It's the jazz. Yeah. So are they really underrated at this point? I think Mike Conley is an underrated signing compared to the Lakers getting Anthony Davis or right. the Clippers getting Kawhi Leonard. I, I guess that's what it means. But yeah, I mean, I think in a lot of like if Mike Conley was signed with Utah this coming summer, that might be the first or second biggest signing. I feel like the Jeremy Grant and Thomas Hagaransky yeah, those are, those are, are true legit underrated. underrated signings. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and we should mention um, about 24 hours ago, the Bulls officially named Sadoransky the starter, which I was a little worried there with Chris Dunn starting a few of those preseason <laughs> games, but they, they ended up doing the right thing. Uh, let's see, a couple, a couple rookie questions. Um, is there any case for Zion not to be rookie of the year other than injuries? If not, we can just skip that we can skip it okay james and i agreed on that as well um let's see who's the most versatile defender in the nba versatile defender in draymond the green led this one 38 percent Kawhi leonard 31 percent Giannis 21 percent others getting votes davis pg and pascal siakam siakam one is interesting yeah i am surprised he didn't get more votes i guess you know to to warrant putting his voting percentage but i i mean it's pretty tough to argue with draymond i think at this point just yeah if if the if the defensive player in the year award was best all-around defender then it would be draymond yep. virtually every year yeah i feel like he has he only won one i think so I think, yeah i mean gobert gobert is james pick to win it this year and that would be three in a row for him and not that he's not deserving but i i, I like you said i think if it it almost should be most versatile defender um you know and gobert is the best rim protector i get that he brings a ton of value to that team but i mean draymond is a transcendent defensive player that i think hasn't quite been fully rewarded for that in, in terms of accolades i agree uh we have a which newer relocated head coach will make the biggest impact on his new team monty williams number one <laughs> with an astounding 43 percent of the votes uh, uh i mean the shade thrown towards igor kakoshkov i think kakoshkov. Is, yes uh this is, is unbelievable this is a tough question because there just aren't that many new coaches this year i guess and right. the suns are like one of the few teams that i, I guess have like a, a huge collection of talent and also have a new team like i don't know i mean cleveland's roster even with the addition of garland and kevin porter and dylan windler is still pretty barren like i a great year for john beeline might be like 26 or 27 wins um you can kind of say the same thing about about memphis they're still kind of a year or two away from really being a true breakout team I, i'm a little surprised maybe not more love for luke walton in sacramento yeah i i mean i i think the time in la with i think everyone that was affected by that la situation is just underrated now mm -hmm. like lonzo ingram um luke walton we just don't know what to think about them because yeah. it was such a weird two three years yeah, I agree. Josh Hart probably falls into that category as well. Uh, okay, a couple more, just kind of the miscellaneous ones, and then we'll we'll move on. This is always an interesting one because you really get a perspective of you know people who are around the game, you know, as opposed to people like us who mostly just watch the games. Which active player will make the best head coach someday? Number one vote getter this year, Mike Conley, twenty six percent of the vote. Uh, Chris Paul, who led the voting last year, got nineteen percent. Malcolm Brogdon, not surprising, 15%. Rajon Rondo, 11%. And the others receiving votes in this one, very interesting. Jalen Brunson, Jared Dudley, Andre Iguodala, Kyle Korver, CJ McCollum, 
Doug McDermott, Garrett Temple, and Lance Thomas. Lance Thomas seems like exactly the caliber of player who would become a head coach. I don't even know. Is there anyone else that you, you know, just from watching or reputation-wise that you think belongs on this list? Um, I would prefer that no. they flip all these questions. Like, who would make the worst head coach? Today? <laughs> we, I think we can both agree LeBron's not going to coach a team, right? I think LeBron's above that, right? I mean, I guess Larry Bird coached for a while. He tried. Didn't Mag- I think Magic might have coached yeah. at some point. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Anybody could. Dick Vitale coached an NBA team. Like anybody. Right. <laughs> you really, if LeBron wanted to coach, he certainly could. That, yeah. There's that, I guess. Uh, I, don't, I don't think he'd be a great coach. He has not proven himself to be a, the greatest talent evaluator. I think he'd be a fun coach. But sure. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if he would. Uh, I think one of LeBron's, I don't even know if it's a flaw, but what, what could be a flaw for him and maybe has been in the past is his inability to understand why lesser talented people can't do things that he can do and i think as a coach like that's a pretty major (laughs) thing that you want to have and i I think he would just be a really frustrated coach at all times i think that was like how exactly i thought jason kidd was as a coach like he's like why can't michael carter williams be me no exactly i mean the thing with kid it was always i think people just assumed he would be this point guard guru because that's basically what he was on the court and i think he had trouble like putting into words or putting into action like what he could do he's i think he was just like i can do i can do it i just can't really show anyone else how to do it and that was ultimately one of his many downfalls i think as an nba head coach but look i mean by the time we get to mid-january he could very well uh have his second or i guess what third shot now in the nba as a head coach i think so yeah uh which team is the most fun to watch denver nuggets led the way at 31 percent then the pelicans warriors bucks and trailblazers what would be your personal top three for this year? Um, I do love the Nuggets. They wouldn't be my number one. Yeah. The the Pelicans are on there, for yep. sure. They're a lock top three. Um, I, th- I mean, Bucks are on there, and I don't think it's just because I'm a Bucks fan. I think Giannis is, like, he is must-see TV, yep. right? Like, he's he's that good. Um, I think Houston could be really fun. Houston could be fun to watch. I, do you like watching Harden in general? Are you one of those people who turned on him last year? uh i think he's a he's a pretty like neutral watch to me mm-hmm. like i watch him and i understand what he's doing is insane but like i don't nothing he does makes me like get out of my seat like he doesn't like ever shock me to the point mm-hmm. where um i feel like it's nothing i've ever seen before or yeah you know the possibility of seeing something that you've never seen before matters and so that's, yeah. that's the zion factor the youngest factor i think the lakers i watched the first half of yesterday's Lakers Warriors they preseason looked, game they were great last and night. it was I was like it was incredible LeBron yeah. um Anthony Davis were just on like they were you know there, there was a point where LeBron went on like a personal 10 minute yep. vendetta against uh Eric Pascal I think uh Marquise Chris also fell Mar- victim of like the, <laughs> right. the LeBron like charging spin move where yeah. he's just out he's basically has his elbow pinned on Marquise Chris's chest and like by like you know he starts the spin move like at the free throw line and Marquise Chris like ends up backed into the stanchion and right. as LeBron just lays it up. Um, yeah, I mean, he's, I think they're going to be a lot of fun if they stay healthy. They need almost the entire roster healthy the whole year, though. That's the thing because they're, they're so shallow. But I mean, Avery Bradley was splashing threes. Like he had three in a row on three straight possessions at one point. I yeah. Mean, whether that's remotely sustainable, I have no idea. Um, but they seem to have unlocked Davis as a playmaker. You know, they, right. they almost, there were a lot of plays last night where he was almost in that Draymond type of role where, you know high screen and roll with lebron lebron kind of drops it to him just above the free throw line and davis can either go in for a floater or last night it was a lot of one dribble just toss it up to mcgee or dwight yeah i think my my final answer here is milwaukee uh new orleans and the lakers i keep i can't put milwaukee in my top three because they're they're our home market so we get you know we have league pass and whatnot but it's just way easier to throw on cable and have you know we watch most of the bucks games so like to me they're not they Dallas? are fun to watch, but I, we've watched them so much, I guess, that it's not it's not really a novelty anymore. Dallas Pel- might be a dark horse for Oh, me. Dallas for sure. Uh, I mean, the Clippers will be fun. Even, I mean, Kawhi, yeah. as great as he is, is not exactly, like, marvelous to watch. No. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it it was in the playoffs, I guess, but, you know, like, yeah. the couple pound dribbles and then pull up from from 20 feet is, is not super exciting. I think Sacramento has some dark horse potential. Sure. I mean, Fox is among the most fun players to watch. Bagley was a lot more fun than I thought. I would say even Chicago. I mean, I'm a, I'm a I'm sucker a, for Zach Levine yeah, still. Me too. Yeah. Um, okay, last one we'll, we'll go through. Which team has the most promising young core? The Pelicans took this one at 28%. Pretty tough to argue with that. Um, and part of it, I guess, depends on what you consider a young core. Number two is right. Denver. 
And yeah, uh, Jamal Murray's young. Jokic Murray is still Jokic. young. Although like I, I still don't think of Jokic as like a young player. You know, like sure. he's been he's put in two or three really good years, and it feels like he's kind of transcended that. But at the end of the day, he still is young. Uh, the Hawks, the Kings, and the 76ers also got votes. Yeah, I mean, the Hawks, um, they're just doing a really good job of drafting. And, you know, I think John Collins and Trey Young have a potential to be like an all-star tandem for like, I don't know, seven years straight or something. Like in their primes, like they could just be, you know, this this duo. Uh, that's really good. And, um, you know, I, I think the DeAndre Hunter pick seems good from what i've seen of him um and taking a flyer on cam reddish mm-hmm. kevin herter seems like he'll be a good like role player so that that makes sense to me um kings are interesting um for sure we, we talked about darren fox already and and marvin yep. bagley um who have kind of like the opportunity to be the west version of trey young and and john collins then the 76ers just kind of yep. like um being who they are with with Embiid and Simmons and and not you know Al Horford kind of an exception here but okay let's just go through a couple rapid fire topics and then we'll get out of here we're you can probably hear in the audio difference we've been relegated to to the B studio today as we mm-hmm. as we go through construction uh, we should have two fully fledged studios though by I think the end of the month at some point be there's nice. been I don't know there's been people in here with like sledgehammers and it's been loud it's been very loud yes we've had to work around that the half of the office is there's like a giant hole that's covered with uh, just like plastic wrap which right. is not keeping any of the noise out whatsoever the workers are playing music during <laughs> while they're working uh it's been quite the environment um where where are you at on on zion overall i, I realize this is not a very pointed question sure um but he went i think in the what middle of round two 19 19 in that draft last night i would have thought that was laughable three weeks ago sure and i don't think anyone thought it was laughable last night at all no um i'm just i just pulled up his preseason stats per 36 minutes zion williamson 30.8 points 8.6 rebounds three assists two steals still has not recorded a single block yeah uh so no i think he's washed up already that the lack of defensive stats is an interesting development because he's, he's been so good offensively that it hasn't really come up right. um but that was kind of one of the reasons that we we are so high in him fantasy wise i mean i i guess i and we've adjusted this since but initially i didn't expect him to shoot this efficiently you know i mean he was at one percent right and that's better than he was at duke I mean, <laughs> of course it's a, a super small sample but i mean it's not like these games are coming against you know some random teams from the philippines right. like these are you know for the most part good nba competition um and I've, and I've been impressed with how many teams seem to be handling the preseason as, as an official game i mean every now and then right. you'll see a team punt a game but like at least three out of five games teams seem to be playing their full rotation i mean got last night the lakers you know davis and lebron were playing close to 30 minutes so it's not like zion is just beating up on on guys who no, are, are barely going to yeah. be scraping by in the g league i think um i think the the blocks thing i initially thought he was going to be by the rim more on defense like i thought he was going to be playing yeah. more center and now seeing him on an nba court he does seem like a forward like he plays around the perimeter on defense and kind of like he'll he'll run a, he'll like be near the rim for rebounds but he's not out there like in shot blocking range mm-hmm. he doesn't seem like he's comfortable doing like weak side blocks yet uh i don't know if that's something they're trying to just have him stay home on guys i don't or... i mean it was a huge part of his game at duke right so i i would i think at some point it'll come back but um i mean fantasy wise i guess a little bit concerning that he hasn't been racking up blocks and steals like he was at duke but I mean that's okay. the least of your concerns if you're if you're a Pelicans fan. If he can score thirty, if he can score twenty five to thirty points a game on like fourteen to sixteen shots, it's just insane. Like he's going to be an, an incredible fantasy player if he does that. I mean, just watching him, he is completely deadly in the dunker spot, which is a yeah. lot of times where guys get put when they like aren't good. Yeah, um, <laughs> very true. <laughs> like you know, they like they would try to hide Ben Simmons there. Yeah, right. Um, it's a place you. Yeah, I wouldn't say guys aren't good. It's a place you have to hide someone because of their deficiencies. Right, but he's dominant there. Yeah. And it, it, once he gets a, you know, if he's on the perimeter, once he gets one step on somebody, if he knows he's past somebody, he can rise up from like twelve yep. feet and just go for a dunk, and he's gonna get fouled. Yep. Yeah, I mean the dunks have been impressive. He had that big one in their first game against Atlanta, like a minute <laughs> yeah. into the game. Uh, but I, I've been more impressed watching him 
finish through contact you know he's it's a, that's crazy it's he's insane. so big and hangs in the air so long there was one against ed davis who is a great defender a, a veteran defender i mean the type of guys that he's going to be going against night in and night out and he he had like a half step on davis went up ed davis tried to wrap him up i mean it was really the only the only other player who ever does stuff like this is lebron where he's just able to break right through yep. these fouls that you know most players are, are collapsed on the ground <laughs> like ed davis is attempting to just like strafe him across the arms Zion breaks right through it hangs like you know, by the time he's releasing the ball, Davis is already back on the ground. Right. And he's just able to to bank it, you know, from five feet away with his left hand. I mean, he's really, really impressive. Um, I do think he's still going to struggle from three. I don't think there's going to be a consistent three-point For shot sure. this year. Um, but there doesn't really have to be. They're not going to ask him to run a pick and roll and pull up. You know, if, if he can just hit every now and then, keep defenses honest, hit a pick and pop, hit a kick out, things like that. I think that'll be fine. Um, the other question is how good of a free throw shooter is he going to be? doesn't seem like very good. No. He's at 69% right now. On, Definitely does not pass the eye test. No. On 10 attempts for 36 minutes, which he's going to get there. I mean, he's going to get yes, to the free throw line. Um, from a fantasy perspective, it's going to be rough. But like maybe the, the field goal and free throw will cancel each other out. Well, part of it, too, is getting getting that at a position that you don't normally get that. Like If he shoots 60% from the field he's eligible as you know as a forward in most leagues and like i've seen him eligible as a small forward like most small forwards if you know if you're shooting 45 46 percent that's fine to get that boost there and then have a center on your roster who's also shooting 60 percent you know i think you you kind of like double your ability to get a player like that in your roster i I don't know what it means free throw percentage wise i think if anything it could kind of be a drag because if he is forward eligible most forwards are not shooting that poorly from the free throw line but again we're kind of picking nits based on what we've seen of him so far yeah joe ingles coming off the bench for the jazz does this matter to you at all from a fantasy or real basketball perspective uh fantasy perspective a little bit like i might take him a round or two later than i normally would i think he's a good player to still target in like the 80 range 80 to 100 i think you're fine drafting ingles but like the past two years you've had an argument to draft him sixth round yeah and feel like you were going to get value just because of his elite three-point shooting his good field goal percentage the fact that he gets rebounds steals uh assists everything like that like he was a low-key triple double threat at points throughout last season he averaged almost six assists a game right and i they've kind of implied that i I don't think he'll ever be like be the actual point guard i mean if, if you look at his his career minutes breakdown it you know basketball reference says he's never played a minute at point guard um but you don't just you don't just luck your way into 5.7 no. assists a game and i think part of the reason to bring him off the bench is to really unlock that playmaking because their backup point guards are not great you know right now it's probably emmanuel Mudiay. i mean dante exum is constantly hurt and you really can't depend on him for anything so i think he's i think they, the hope is he just operates as kind of this secondary wing playmaker with that second unit they're they're a team that just doesn't need a traditional backup point guard because they have mitch donovan mitchell who can play backup point guard and they have mm-hmm. joe ingles who can handle the position enough like having Mudiay and exum should be enough right to get them where they need to go yeah for the record i got him at 83 last night so I that mean, was the same range as like the guys who went right after him were marcus smart marcus all terrence ross kevon looney sadaransky sure felt like that was about right yeah um do we trust the Knicks at all? They brought Mitchell Robinson off the bench last night. They brought Neil Kina off the bench last night. Kevin Knox, I am fully prepared to for him to just kind of wash out at this point. I Did you watch that game? I watched part of it, and I, okay. I flipped over to to catch what ended up being a rain, rain delay for, for baseball. Okay. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I saw enough to see the starting lineup and see right. a dejected Mitchell Robinson walking to the bench as the game began. That game made me nervous, like watching them against the Hawks. Like it was it was such a contrast between two teams that are supposed to be almost equally as bad. Yeah. Like You can make the argument that they're both going to win a, around 25 games. But the Hawks have a very clear like offensive concept. They were running plays yep. and the Knicks. I had no idea what was going on. Randall was just pulling up and he like the amount of 16 foot basically free throw yep. line jumpers that were shot for the Knicks was yep. crazy. I do not. I, I wrote in my Riga for NFPKC that I was worried that I was going to have to make a decision on Mitchell Robinson in the fifth round. And like early in draft season, he was going in the third round. And now I'm worried like, well, mm-hmm. do I take him? Do I take Otto Porter? Like, um, cause I, I don't have any confidence in this rotation. I have confidence in Julius Randall being 30 minutes a game, being the best player on the team. That's fine. Yeah. Everyone else to me is a toss up. Julius Randall is fully ready to be 
a good stats guy on a terrible team. I think he has yeah. never been more ready for this. Like every single every time he gets the ball, it's a fake jab step, go left, and then just <laughs> charge into whoever is there. Um, I mean, he, I, I know like some of the comparisons for Zion were Julius Randall. You know, their games are similar, but like Zion is just so much smoother about it and more athletic. I mean, Randall is just such a bully, and it works pretty well. I mean, like the numbers have been fine. It's just. Right. You just you you know you know watching it like the Knicks are the perfect place for this to go down like yeah. uh, that just does not fly in a good team that kind of style. No, I yeah the the Randall um, Zion comps made sense before I watched a lot of Zion and a lot of Randall in the NBA yeah. this year. Like I realized how much Zion is weirdly a role like is being played like a role player who just ends up with like uh like high usage superstar stats yeah I, he almost i mean they're not similar players but it's almost siakam like where you rarely watch siakam and you're like this guy is just absolutely taken over right now you're like right. he, he's not he's not breaking guys ankles he's not you know really running the pick and roll or anything but then you look up and all of a sudden he has 26 points a few threes eight rebounds five assists two blocks like i, I think those are the kind of lines we're gonna keep we're gonna end up seeing from zion whether it's this year or, or down the road right um I think that's all I have. Oh, one last question. Over under game started for Markel Fultz this year, uh, 12 and a half. This is a line of my own. Oh, man. Um, yeah, I wouldn't touch this uh, if oh. I you know, if I were being presented with it. Yeah, well, luckily, I don't think you'll be able to find it anywhere. <laughs> Thank God. The, the Whalen Sportsbook. Uh, I'll take the under. I, I don't have a good reason for it. I just, like, I think keeping DJ Augustine as a starter is probably a good idea. Uh, and then you can probably have Fultz run the bench, which is exactly what the 76ers tried to do at yes. some point uh, last year. So weirdly shocking that that was last year. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think he'll like he's putting up decent numbers this preseason. Yeah. Shooting still bad. But like I think it's like seven assists for 36 minutes. Yeah, that's the thing. If he's just willing to like mentally accept that he's just not a good shooter. I, I think he could still be a really, really good player. Like, I mean, that, right. that first preseason game, I think when everybody got really excited, he hit a couple of fadeaway jumpers. Um, he had that kind of crazy baseline layup where he was contorting his body and, and spinning the ball in, you know, like that's, you don't see a lot of point guards who can routinely make plays like that. He's, you know, he's big, he's built, he's super athletic. None of that ha- seems to have really left him, but I'm not sold on the shot at all. Like it does, it looks better, I guess, you know, he's no longer, tossing the ball between his hands at the free throw line but it, it seems to me just watching him does not pass the eye test still feels like he needs to get into like a personal rhythm before he shoots whether that means it, it kind of seems like he uses that like kind of half spin fadeaway as a crutch to kind of set it up his own like shot that, he, yeah. he almost has to hop into it like it doesn't seem like you could just fire him a pass in the corner and he could get off a contested three you know he has to kind of mentally say to himself okay i'm going to shoot the ball now and and kind of be in that rhythm and it that just doesn't fly in the nba um i don't don't know i don't know if he can really be a rondo type i mean there's very few players have really succeeded at the position being just total non-shooters and even rondo at times can can knock down threes um so it's going to be interesting to see where he goes and i think the fact that orlando is kind of teetering on the edge of of being a playoff team I, i think we both assume they'll be a similar team to what they were last year they don't have like this huge margin of error where they can just allow him to play through mistakes or, or play through rough nights. Right. You know, like I, they can't, they can just throw away games. I, I no. think they want to be a playoff team. So it, I, I almost feel like he'd be better off on a team that has fewer expectations. I agree. Yeah. I think, and I think that's like what people want to see. And yeah, you know um, yeah. If he was on a team, I don't even know what a good example of a team because a lot of these a lot of bad teams have a point guard exactly. Um, so I'm I'm not entirely sure off the top of I'd my love head. to see the Rozier Fultz backcourt in Charlotte would be fantastic. Oh. Okay, we'll wrap it up here. Uh, you'll be back on the pod tomorrow. I think Ken will be in the house, right? It sounds like it, it. That's the rumor. We were told he would be here today. He has not shown up, although it's very possible he's arrived in the last 55 minutes since we've been in here. Uh, but look forward to that pod tomorrow again go read all of our stuff on the site nfbkc recaps other preseason content uh, season long preseason rankings we have a weekly rankings tool that just launched so go check all that out at rotowire.com slash basketball
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.